Hey friends, happy Pride. We are back with a brand new episode tonight and we're so grateful that you're here and you're queer or not, but if you are, yay. We had a blast talking to DJ Dia in this one. Y'all, Tia opened up for Alice Bag in Long Beach last month. So damn cool. But before we hear more from our lovely guest, I have a quick ask. If you enjoy the show, please share the love. Post a link to your favorite episode in your Instagram story. Text the show to a friend or encourage your partner or your roommate or whoever to listen in with you. You can also support Human Regards with a monthly contribution through our Spotify for Podcasters supporter page, which you can find in our show notes or the link tree in our social media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Carolyn Sudeco. And I'm Shanta Lecker. And this is Human Regards. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming DJ Dia onto the show. Dia is queer, vegan, and a self-proclaimed Buddhist in progress. As Dia says, none of it is about being perfect. So often, the most exciting aspects of our lives are about process, exploration, and quite often, tossing out boring binary labels. For Dia, music has been a lifelong grounding force, from the woodwind section of their high school marching band to the curation of two original radio shows. Beneath the electric, vegan, punk vibe and a visible passion for justice, Dia reminds us to find comfort in the things we can change, to love on our platonic soulmates, and yes, everything comes back to music. What are you drinking? What are you snacking on? <laughs> well, I, anything? I'm drinking some Bengal spice tea out of Ooh. my filled with rage cup. And I'm, I was snacking on some fresh focaccia earlier from the local bakery. Carolyn, what are you drinking, uh, if anything? What do you got I'm today? I'm drinking mango bubbly. Always with the sparkling water ads. <laughs> I know. They feature that brand on RuPaul's Drag Race. We really want to do like virtual happy hour episodes. We haven't started doing this yet, but we were thinking, you know, like trying to invite back guests and doing that every few months. So, um, but yeah, I have a, a cider, which is really strange. I don't usually drink beer or cider, but cheers. Well, cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> um, well, what would be amazing is if you could just introduce yourself with your full name and your pronouns as like the bare minimum. Any other way you want to introduce yourself, it's very open-ended. My name is Dia. I also go by DJ Dia because of my radio shows. I'm queer. I'm vegan. I'm an activist. And I'm a huge music lover, as you can tell, and a huge Sanrio fan. That's part of my identity. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. I recently got two Sanrio tattoos with them, like six months apart. That is the, one of the cutest things I've heard in so long. <laughs> that Sanrio is part of your identity? Yeah, that you've lifted it up, right? As yeah, as your as in your introduction. It's actually the past two or past year. It's become a huge focal point for me for some reason, and I think it's because I want to do everything small or big that makes me smile or laugh. So I've been that's why I've been getting the tattoos because whenever I look down on my forearms, I see these these tattoos that I've created, and they make me laugh so hard because they're so cute, and my mind is like. I can't believe I have popcorn and Sanrio on my arm for <laughs> my life. I've been making a lot of effort trying to find new communities because, because of COVID, they've all dissipated and things like that. And before COVID, they were really, really important to me. But they're also very difficult to find, you know. So now that things are safe and I feel more comfortable being in like large spaces, 
I've been going out more. So the spaces I've been finding myself are like concerts. Um, I have some poetry readings coming up, hanging out with people, which has been really nice. But my goal is to find those communities again um, and support them. I feel like especially in relation to this, like the dynamics of COVID and yeah. <laughs> what happened over yeah. the last few years, has that affected you at all? It definitely affected me. It did. I... It did. Uh, it actually made me even more introverted. I had to do a lot of therapy sessions before I was, I got, I went into public spaces again. Like I had to learn all these like calming tricks to um, dissipate the anxiety. Mm-hmm. But uh I'm the type of person that if I spend a lot of time in social settings, I have to like really decompress for a couple of days mm-hmm. and recharge. And I love spending time by myself. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm pretty introverted. People are really surprised when I say that. They feel like I, they think I'm extroverted, but that's only when I'm comfortable. Is, is, it, is it like that for you? Actually, yeah. I mean, because I get that same comment. When people find out that I think of myself as more introverted, and I feel like it's sort of a whole three-dimensional spectrum, you know, like I, I don't yeah. think anyone's ever just like a this or a this, like a, those kind of boxes are impossible to me. But, but yeah, people, I tell people, I think I'm, I feel so much more introverted. I'm, I love being alone. <laughs> I like, I'm okay. the most creative when I'm by myself. I feel very chatty when I'm in a place I feel comfortable and safe, you know, mm-hmm. like I can be outgoing in that way. But I'm not nat- naturally extroverted. Same, same. What you said about like you need time to recover. Mm-hmm. That is like the story of my life. <laughs> Just feeling exhausted after doing these things that I love—live performance and music and and all these things that involve a lot of people. But then, yeah, it's like I need time to decompress in a pretty intense way. I think, and so I relate a lot to that. Just with your work, people would think that you're extrovert because you have to speak all the time right like same as same as musical perform like if I play somewhere publicly or if I'm coaching I feel like I'm doing a job more than I feel like I'm just existing and so then when I have that purpose I think it's easier for me to kind of play that role but it is not my natural state I'm much more the observant person if you stick me in a group of people I don't know you know, like if I was participating in that workshop we did, <laughs> I would have been sitting in the corner, like observing and really digesting everything, but probably not talking much, you know, like listening is contributing. And so often there's sort of like this measurement put on us that it's like, well, if you're not talking like in school back in the day, you know. <laughs> tell, tell me about this, this workshop that you two were in. It was an anti-racist workshop. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, it was wonderful. I loved her presentation so much. She did such an important job and the way that she detailed everything, the way she worded everything just felt so comfortable for me. And it was like speaking to how I feel. So I think that's why it was like so moving for me. I loved it. Yay. Well, thanks. That's lovely to hear. (laughs) It's weird because you always... Carolyn, I feel like I don't have to ask you this, but I am kind of curious about the introvert, extrovert, ambivert. Like, have you... Do you think about that stuff at all? <laughs> I do think think about it a lot. And then I just, then I don't, right? I just like, Dia, I'm a twin. I'm, I'm a identical twin. My whole life has been in relationship to and in comparison with a person who sounds and looks exactly like me. There's always something between us 
that's come with expectations, uh, familial expectations or societal expectations of of what people think how twins should be. Um, I I don't think of it as extrovert unless it's in comparison to usually her. Uh, When I grew up, I grew up with hearing these characterizations of myself. And then I think like, you know, like the self-fulfilling prophecy, you just kind of like live into it. Because if my mom says to everyone that I'm the quiet one and my my twin sister is the, the one who speaks her mind, then I fall into that. So I think like that, that's how I understand. That's how I relate to introversion, extroversion. Um, I love doing things by myself because I think that is a reaction for always having to like go on dates, like, (laughs) and my sister's there, (laughs) like being always having freedom, but always because I had someone with me. So like we were very independent, but it was because we were with each other. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And also is a perfect example of how those binary labels don't make any sense. Right. Because no one's talking about like, if you're a twin, and so you have this sort of mirror that you grow up with or a million other, you know, dynamics and things right. in life. But as um, a kid, I was always really quiet. Um, but I was taught to like be small and quiet, you know, otherwise mm. something bad would happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, like I learned in um uh, Dharma class that um at a Buddhist monastery that one of the best things you can do for others is to listen to them. That's like a gift, you know. Mm-hmm. So after I took that class, I started to be really mindful about making sure I was always mostly listening. It was a combination of just like, I'd rather observe like what Shanka said. And also like, I'm giving you a gift. I'm listening to you. Like some people don't have that skill. You know? I, w- I want to hear more about this Dharma class and <laughs> practice around there. Yeah. Like how, can, yeah, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I took the five precepts twice in my life. One time in Taiwan and the other time um, out in the monastery I went to out, out here. And I'm kind of like a passive Buddhist now. I'm trying to find another monastery to join. But, you know, you don't have to be part of a monastery to practice Buddhism. You know? But I still try to follow everything as best I can. But being Buddhist is like, just like being vegan, it's like, it's not about being perfect. For you, is that related to veganism? And My life, I think I would have eventually ended up being vegan because I started off being, um, I like, first quit pork and beef and then chicken and then fish. And then I became Buddhist. And then I'm like, okay, well, here it goes. Time for the <laughs> vegan. That's the last step. <laughs> So after I became Buddhist, it was really easy to become vegan. So I've been vegan ever since, which has been about almost eight, nine, nine, ten years now of being vegan and Buddhist. I'm not the perfect Buddhist, you know? I mean, I just said it's not about perfection, but I think that it's okay to be angry. And I think it's okay to express rage and express anger and things like that. I, I noticed that in the older scripts, there's like so much misogyny. So I'm trying to find a monastery that's a little bit up to date and more expansive about being more present with the times and not leaning on all those old scripts because Mm -hmm. they're sexist. Yeah, which is like innately dehumanizing, you know, I mean, if, if you're being told in some way, shape or form that, you know, you're 
anger, which is just an emotion. It's not a bad emotion. It's just an emotion. If that is somehow being translated as invalid or inappropriate or not welcome in a space, it's like that's that's just taking your humanity out of that space. Like especially with women and especially with women mm-hmm. of color, like we are told that we're not supposed to be loud, right? We're not supposed to express anything other than passivity or you know being gentle and things like that and that's that's fucked up Mm -hmm. people maybe aren't literally saying like be quiet be passive Mm -hmm. but it's more a product of like a consequence when you're not fitting those Mm -hmm. um various stereotypes and so that's how we learn that you know like that's how that's socialized and that it makes it even more violent because it's like okay (laughs) if i'm if i'm getting into some kind of trouble for being too loud or too assertive or um, angry. It's like you learn that real quick as fear. And, you know, like it, it turns these things into all kinds of other emotions. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's like a lifetime of unlearning a lot of that stuff. At least it has been for me, for sure. Why, why I don't like uh, tell people right away that I'm Buddhist because I'm still figuring it out, you know, which I mm. think is like a good way to live life. This is, so you're still figuring out always like a work in progress. Something else we talk about in here all the time is like how meaningful it is when you're able to be critical of something you care a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. something you identify with, care a ton about and can still be critical of it. That's like how we met. That's how Carolyn and I really connected was because of sports culture, <laughs> actually. And, and criticizing it. And being critical of it, long. but also being immersed in it, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? You know, that's how I kind of like feel about uh, growing up Catholic is mm-hmm. I describe myself now. It, actually, earlier today, I described myself to someone as still like kind of Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I then resisted and and denied it i i then threw it away i then kind of you know made my way back to some elements of it you know like so there's this this constant negotiation that we have as as we experience things that's been a roller coaster in terms of religion or organized religion and so yeah i still say i'm kind of catholic when it comes to the institution of of catholicism i love the the teachings uh, spiritual teachings from all sorts of sorts of organized ways of thinking, perhaps. When I say I'm kind of Catholic, like a lot of people, you know, including my mother, like, you know, <laughs> and then and then other people are like, you know, doing the sign of the cross on themselves. And other people are like, wow, like, I kind of feel that. Like, how can you navigate that? And I said, well, I have no other choice how else can we work in this in this frame of of living if we can't somehow find that peace Mm -hmm. i start saying i'm buddhist light yeah that's that's the way to go buddhist light well speaking speaking of buddhists like uh i'm about to read again uh kazuhaga's healing resistance i'm really impacted by the fact that he talks about he loves is it boxing or hockey he loves violent sports and then yeah why is this so funny to me i i mean i'm on the the like way over here where i just when i get in organized religious spaces i'm like no <laughs> so right. same with me though same with me i, I also say i'm an atheist so yeah mm-hmm. i think we need more of that like well, whether it's whether it's i don't think dabbling is a bad thing i don't no, think I 
you know, I, I think being inquisitive and curious and knowing, and yes, that and, like it's it's an and, not an or, right? Mm-hmm. We, we remind ourselves of, of that all the time. I am a twin and I am my own person, right? Like <laughs> even though my mother dresses us up exactly the same for 13 oh, yeah. years, I have my own identity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it these things can can all swim in the same water. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. Okay, so Buddhist like for now. Yeah, Buddhist like. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay, let me ask this because I'm very curious. You know, initially I asked like, where do you find yourself now? But if we rewind, like, what were the spaces that you found yourself in as a young person, particularly the ones where you felt most yourself? Well, in my high school days, it really was in marching band. That was like a huge deal for me. Not only was it an escape from a violent household, but it was like where all my friends that were exactly like me went, you know. Um, thankfully, I went to a school in the neighborhood was really diverse. It was mostly like brown kids, 85%, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to see a lot of me and all my friends yeah, we all nerded out on classical music and pop hits that tur- that was turned into marching band music. And I spent <laughs> so many nights and days with those people. We went on trips together. It was like just beautiful. It was like, I think that's when I first realized what community was and how important they were. So yeah, that was a super safe space for me, this marching band. Can I ask what you did in the band? Like, did I you play? play? I was gonna ask. I played clarinet. I was I was <gasps> chair orchestra and the third chair marching band, which is <sighs> pretty, good. pretty good. Yeah, <clears throat> I was a, a flute player, and Ooh. I was really bad at it. So I was not the second chair. <laughs> <laughs> I was better at piano. I should have just stuck with one instrument. I have learned. <laughs> I, I, I was really lucky that someone introduced the clarinet to me when I was younger. There, people were like just throwing all these different activities at me because I was in a, like a low-income neighborhood, and we didn't have special classes for gifted gifted kids or smart kids. Mm-hmm. So they tried to like put me in every every single thing. So then they said, "Well, let's put her on an instrument." <laughs> So mm-hmm. they gave me a clarinet. I'm like, "Well, this is great, but I still need better academics," you know. <laughs> But it was like, it was a nice move. I had a move when I was a junior and the new school that I moved to had a terrible marching band and I hated them. They made me, they made me um, start at the bottom. And I was like, I had such a big ego about like, I'm second chair that I refused to do it. And while we were doing um, a marching band introduction for that year, I didn't hold my clarinet right. So the leader told me to drop and do 10 pushups. I'm like, oh how dare you? I'm like, no way, me? So I ran off the field crying. I'm like, I'm never going to be part of marching band ever again. That was my last hurrah at marching band. I did not know marching band like did things like that. Like They're super militant, which is ridiculous, you know? Um, So, (laughs) but because of that, I chose some other electives and I got into art, which is a really big deal for me too. And that would be like another safe space that I would think of in high school. Mm-hmm. I was nerdy, always in, always in the art class. I was in studio art. I got into advanced art. So it was a really cool moment of time for me. And it was really nurturing because I needed that thing because I lost marching band. 
I lost all my friends, right? So I gained being able to express myself through painting. Marching Band is so unique because it's almost like combining this music theory and all this stuff with movement. And so it's like dance, but also kind of sports because you have to be in sync in such an intense way. Very and precise. Yeah. Very precise. Um, it helped a lot with math. <laughs> yeah. How have those things changed, you know, since you your life has changed and since you've grown? Are they still a big part of your life? You know what I mean? How has that stuff shifted or changed um, over time? I think the one thing that has been a solid connector from then till now is music. It's always been music. Even before marching band, I was super into music. That part has stayed the same. My really close connection to music but it's just different now i'm you know radio dj mm -hmm. one day i'd like to actually produce some music but i gotta manage my time better but actually those two things have actually stayed with me i still really love art but again i have to figure out a way to like make more time to do it but those two things have always been very important to me. You know, something that Carolyn actually taught me, you said something about artists being oppressed. <laughs> like, And you, everything you said about how hard it is, it's like you have these things that are safe and things you're so passionate about. And I relate to this so intensely, by the way. And it's so hard. You know, we say like we don't have time and or we can't afford to or um, that doesn't pay the bills or whatever. And it's like, why? What yeah. happened? <laughs> Capitalism is such a demon, you know? It's such a demon. I'm sure if I was paid more and um, I'd be less stressed out, you know? I think about this a lot when we, when we talk about, especially in our society, about what freedom is and how freedom is defined for us in a very narrow way. And I think that's how I look at when I see artists in my midst, and I, I say this, Dia, because I myself have only recently come into identifying even my own creative energy, the paradigm of what an artist is or what an artist does. And that expression for me growing up was very narrow. When I look at artists, creatives, I hear that word a lot more these days right mm -hmm. so like this this actual creative and artistic expression it is so often um muted and and pushed down and oppressed because i hear that artists like cannot express themselves like it's beyond their reach in some way right and this yearning that comes from people i interact with and i find myself often saying oh my gosh, I want that for you, that whatever they're reaching for, whatever. And that's a very expansive way of saying like, that's why I want freedom for everyone, right? Yeah. To, to be able to, to, to do that. Shanta knows I cannot sing a note, even though Shanta says I can't. I tell her everyone can sing. That's not... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. I, I said that just like, every, like everyone, I believe there's, there's, there's an artist in there's that artistic expression in me i believe it i don't think it's through singing <laughs> I you know i could i can do some sort of creative tasks and i i i do try to express myself in that but i think like really what what you offer and what artists offer is so needed by by those of us who all who are already like we need it if I get deprived of someone being free in their person, then that's not good for me either. Again, that's why I love these spaces when when people can 
express themselves if and when they feel comfortable in in that and sharing that i i do feel privileged and 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 uh i love sharing in that i feel like i've made little art projects in my life like my tattoos have been art projects so there's like i've always tried to find ways to still be creative but it's like after you work eight hours a mm -hmm. day you know it's like that short time that you have at night mm -hmm. it goes by so fast <laughs> Because you have to do all this maintenance stuff, right? So it's like, no wonder people find it hard to find time to create at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people forget that creating anything, whatever, wherever your creativity is, lies that day, it that takes energy. I will play music at the weirdest times because, you know what, if I get the impulse, I'm like, do it. Because you never know when you're going to have that energy again. <laughs> And so, so it might be at like 11 p.m. And I'm like, well, should I sleep or follow the impulse? Follow the freaking impulse because you're not going to have time to do this tomorrow, you know, and and it but it takes energy. And so it's very, very hard to like fake that, you know, like a lot of it is really, at least for me, it feels impulsive a little bit. It feels like this sort of organic thing that when it needs to come out, it comes out. And it's not necessarily something I can control. And when I've tried to control it, it's sort of backfired and become something I resent a little bit, you know, and that happened to me with music when I was younger. Like you said, you work eight hours and sometimes those things don't light up. Like, you know, like that, those impulses don't happen. I, okay, I've been wanting to ask this this whole time, but first of all, you clearly have this visual eye because the records that you chose right now behind you look really good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like scanning them. I kind of pick like um, a mix of current artists and some of my favorite older artists, like Sheila Chandra. She's pretty old, but they're releasing like a, a special edition of her music pretty soon. Have you heard of Sheila Chandra? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, she's incredible. Octoboke Beaver, they're a Japanese band, but I saw they're a punk band and they're just incredible. I saw them a couple months ago at the Echo and it was my first punk show after COVID. So I was very nervous. I wore my mask. I wore a platform so I can see it above the crowd. It was like a perfect introduction because I wanted to see them so bad. I told myself, I'm like, if I get COVID, it'd be worth it. it. <laughs> um, Alice Drag, I DJed for her show uh, two weeks ago already. And she's an incredible feminist. Uh, she's just amazing. She's incredible. She's super important in the punk world. Um, let's see. Oxen. Yeah, what's, what's, what was her name again? Alice Bag, the AG. She's a writer. She was a teacher. I'm writing this down. Yeah, she's incredible. Donna Summer, we know Donna Summer. The AG is a Korean electronic artist. Mm -hmm. Downtown Boys, they're a Mexican punk group. We all know Missy Elliott. Susie Analog, she's one of my favorite producers and electronic music artists. She's great, Susie Analog. Mm -hmm. She's so inspiring. All of these artists are super inspired. I have a really big record collection. Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a bit about DJing and like what, yeah. what your sets are like? And Yeah. So I have two radio shows. One of them is electronic music. Not just electronic music, but it has like electroacoustic music, sound art, um, experimental electronic music. So it's a, it, it actually... The genre is widened in that that show. And then it's called Synthetical Program. It's on the third and fourth Sunday of the month. And then I have another show called Radio Realness. And I play all of this. And I have uh, live in studios. And I play social justice podcasts. And um, that's on the first and second Sunday 
but radio realness I've been doing for seven years since doctoral program, maybe it's a lot of work. And I, I think of these two shows curating the playlist and all the social media that I do and everything. And the, mm. I feel like this is like a art project for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of my time is spent on these radio shows. So that's like sometimes why, why I don't have extra time to do the other art projects that I want to do. Your social media in itself is art, even, you know, yes. like, like me, <laughs> I love following it because it really is. I mean, it, it's such a, it's so interesting when someone has such a clear voice, it feels like a very clear voice. Thank you. And yet there's such variety of knowledge being shared through that channel. So I, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's really cool. Yeah. I love, I love having these social media accounts. It's a lot of work, but I find a lot of comfort with social media, like for a little bit, you know, how people try to get down on you for like being too attached to social media, being on your phone too much. But I find that it's really relaxing and it's like all these opportunities to boost other people. And that's what makes me the most happy. So it's really cathartic for me and rewarding for me to find all these new organizations because of this other organization, because of organizations and how things are all linked one of my therapists a while ago, one time I told her, I'm like, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough activism. So she's like, there's such thing as passive activism, you know, like you can do small things and it still counts to, it still counts in a lot of ways. Anything that you can do to boost important organizations or people that don't have the opportunity to be heard, mm-hmm. the majority. Um, mm-hmm. I think that people think activists are these like people that are on the streets carrying signs and stuff and yelling, but it's, there's a huge spectrum of how you can be an activist. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh, 100. Technology has touched everything, including yeah. activism, right? And yes. and even thinking about how the ability to communicate virtually in all of these different ways has changed the access that people have to other people and communities and spaces. And for me, social media is this access point that is more comfortable to me in some ways um and it's just safer (laughs) in a lot of ways and I can still connect with anyone you know like the possibilities there are pretty endless and it's not perfectly safe obviously but there's all of this accessibility that comes through Instagram and Twitter that disability activists talk about all the time and our ability to do this right now like we have access to each other in this zoom room right (laughs) in a very intimate way and we can do this in a way that's accessible because you can be in your space and still be able to connect in these ways which is so I mean it's important and I yeah social media gets a weird rap sometimes and I'm like cult I mean there's there's the course course good and bad to it but it's like if it wasn't for social media I wouldn't be talking to a lot of the people that I'm talking to now you know and I wouldn't be in contact with a lot of the bands that I uh, are in contact with now like my other show since Dacko Program I talk to people like globally, like I have social media friends from Japan and from Germany and from um, Latin America is like everywhere. And it wouldn't have happened without social media. It's like very sweet. It's just a very sweet concept that you can form this online community, you know, that people feel safe and like, it's a possibility. Like you can actually do that. There's been a lot of artists that come to me because they're like, I like what you're doing. Um, make me feel safe. Do you have any recommendations if I can do A, B, and C? And I'm like, oh, you're coming to me for that advice. And I, it's just really heartwarming, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, even talking about this is actually, it's like moving me into the whole power discussion because that access and those connections is power building in a sense, you know what I mean? And um, and for so many of us, we're constantly operating in these institutions or structures that were not built for us, right? And so, yeah. and so that is activism, building those communities and, and connections and sharing knowledge in those ways is one necessary because we're humans and we're beings that need connection to survive. And also we don't get it naturally in the society that we live in. I think I've learned to navigate through the radio shows, through social media, how to lean in to the community and also mm-hmm. also know when to step back and reevaluate yourself and what you're doing. I get a lot of feedback more on my Synthactyl program, the electronic page, especially when I post social justice things um, or information about women. Like I posted something about um, inequality in the music industry. Um, There are a lot less Black female producers and a lot less female producers. So I'm always faced with, do I call them out? Do I communicate with them? Do I ignore them and block them? And there's been a lot of men that say like, oh, just block them. I'm like, you know, it's not that easy. We're scared so much. I don't know, as an activist, I just can't stand back all the time, you know? Dia, if I could say like the art and the the power, I see that in, in the fact that you told us all about those albums, all about those artists. There's your community right there, right behind you, like with you, right? And that is a visually powerful act to curate that and to express yourself in that. Like, again, that's part of like the social media, this part of this technology presence that you are defining for yourself and our society still tells us like, oh, horrible, like people don't know you how to use social media. And it, it's just like the negative thing. And then when we use it in a powerful way to help each other and help ourselves with our expression, mm-hmm. then that gets erased also. That means something. That means something that I'm I'm looking at what you're offering. I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you doing that, right? And that that artistic expression. Why is it in our society that, why is it that that's a vulnerable thing for a lot of people? Because we've punished so many people for it in our society. I don't want to be about that anymore. I, I want to be about like, like what? Like, like, oh, who are these artists? And but like, and, and yet you off, you open yourself up to, like, there's someone out there that might be saying like, oh, Missy Elliott and being all like <laughs> critical and they're who's being they're, critical of Missy? They, I know, they, I know, really. You. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, right. Like, still knowing that you do your art to be like that's human regards. I think it's really beautiful to be part of a community and to add to communities through music. Like, like I said before, like music has been this huge solid comfort for me all my life while also. Um, supporting people along the way, either by playing their music or going to their shows, buying merchandise. It's mm. like a huge core value to me, what my relationship is to music. Being part of this community because of music, I just think it's like, how lucky am I? How lucky am I to like talk to all these bands, play their music, interact with them on social media? Like, 
like you were saying earlier about how lucky you are, like it was a luxury for you to do the podcast. It's a luxury for me to be in the sphere with everyone and for them to appreciate what I'm doing and to actually like witness and see what I'm doing. Like what Shanta said, how you said like my presence was clear on social media. That's mm. so nice to hear because here I am in the dark in my bed, just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> sharing and reposting but to hear that it's like affecting people in a positive way and they they feel you know not safety but they feel happiness because what i'm doing and there's some there's some there's some layers of safety too because i identify with a lot of things that i'm posting and saying and stuff like that so yeah how lucky i'm so lucky so the annenberg school at usc started this big initiative related to inclusion and the arts so music included they released a new report about music producers specifically and less than one percent of producers are women of color i don't i don't know the exact numbers maybe you do but it's it's not like just under one percent it's like a really really tiny tiny decimal you know so when you really put all that together like who is kind of telling us in these popular ways what to listen to it's like uh but i i don't bring that up to be depressing i bring it up because for me you dreaming of producing music, you mm-hmm. using these skill sets that you have and curating your sets and curating your shows like that is activism because that is the space that when you like zoom out that you're a part of on some level, maybe not like I'm a part of this like oppressive industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's not in those ways. But that is the reinvention that we always talk about. That's like you reinventing that space and dreaming of the art. Like you don't have to produce music that ends up somewhere. You know, it's not about the product. But yeah. dreaming of that 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 art, dreaming of producing that music, like that is activism. Because you existing as yourself mm-hmm. and your creative self is fighting back at not only that industry, but also the bigger systems that have been so pervasive within those industries. I think there's like the data, the collected data from the um, algorithms of my Instagram pages, it's 12% women for the electronics show. And it's 59% women for the other show. So it's just like really interesting to see these types of, this type of data. And I keep trying to push to increase them both, you know, mm-hmm. it's just interesting. But thank you for saying all that. I do feel like I am, I am part of it. Um, it's nice to hear somebody else say that. In in yeah. the midst of that, right? Yeah. How else are you existing? Well, I do, I, I do have a lot of small synths and some instruments and I eventually want to create some music, um, more like sound art or um, just experimental electronic music. I have a theremin and I have like a Mother 32 and I have a lot of different little pocket synths and a small synth. So that's always been something that I've wanted to do. I also have like a lot of little turntables I want to use to, to use as a musical instrument too. So throwing in some like turntablism in there, that's like a big goal of mine. Been thinking of like different projects to incorporate zines and other types of things to just talk to more people and to um, give more people the presence that they need that they deserve mm-hmm. <laughs> there's wow. so many beautiful voices out there that it's just not fair that they're not heard you know so mm-hmm. i want to be i still want to support them well if you ever need a cowbell or a triangle <laughs> i I am so willing to learn okay. and experiment and yes. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole concept of experimental music, I mean, you just do anything, you know, just have fun with it. So I, I really need to get to that point where I am doing that. But like you said earlier, like we have all these ideas, you know, mm-hmm. I have a lot of ideas. Again, it's like that in itself is challenging the norm like that in itself. Mm-hmm. To me, that is power. That is Yes. That's you being in your power, having those ideas, even if they don't turn into something tangible, they can hand someone because people yeah. that expect that in my mind aren't at, like those are not the creatives mm-hmm. I connect with because <laughs> yeah. they don't understand how important that process is. So, oh, my gosh. Oh, OK, I, ha- I have a question in terms of like re- reinventing space. Yeah, that I however way you want to talk about this. But when you're doing your thing right, when you're in your zone can you talk about like what that might look like or, or how it feels for you and what that might look like? I think one of the recent examples might be when I DJed for Alice Bag. First of all, I was very, very excited that she chose me after out of like all the DJs because I look up to Alice Bag so much. Like a lot of times during my life, if there's something that is difficult to decide, sometimes I tell myself, what would Alice Bag do? Like she's that important to me. So uh, of course I wanted to make sure I curated a really appropriate set for her show. Um, and I, I actually overthought and overanalyzed and brought too many records. But I think the space that I wanted to give you an example is when I started DJing that night, all of a sudden I could see like all these heads like looking at me and saying, what is she playing? This is so good. Or they were dancing and they're like recognizing the song. And that part felt really, really nice that, you know, I did pick music that people identified with and was familiar with and made me feel happy about. I had a lot of people come up to me and like, what were you playing? Which is really nice because I was playing stuff they've never heard before, which were uh, voices that they should have heard. You know, that moment of DJing for Alice that night was pretty important to me because in the end, I should have just reminded myself just to have fun. You know, (laughs) it was also nice to be back with that community again. So I haven't seen a lot of those people since before COVID. Um, and then there was a part of my set where I was playing a lot of dance music and a lot of, there's some people that were dancing to it. And that was like really nice feeling too. I think that was a, a good recent example. It all comes back to music somehow. I wanted to get to this whole reclaiming peace thing, if that's okay. And it's kind of related to that. I mean, what Carolyn just asked, whatever peace looks like, or sounds like, or feels like, or smells like, or tastes like, because food. Cheers. Yeah, I think one of the most recent examples, and I, I talked about this with my therapist, it was like really cute. So how you're asking me these questions, I'm like, I'm talking about this just with my therapist. <laughs> I'm, I'm so lucky that I've been able to have a therapist. Um, but one of the most recent peaceful moments is when I went to uh, DragCon. Uh, last weekend and it's something that my best friend my best friend like my best friend in the whole wide world I think four years ago she told me that we're soulmates and I thought that was like the most beautiful thing you know because usually people reserve the word soulmate to romantic relationships not platonic but I think um when she said that I truly understood the word soulmate you know Mm -hmm. so anyways I went with her time just stopped we are floating through this, this gay space, this beautiful gay space with all these beautiful drag queens. Everyone was like so positive and it was, it, you felt like you were immersed in this heavenly community. And here I was my best friend, my soulmate, 
and we just glided through the whole day. Six hours passed me in a blink because we were so in tune with each other. We felt safe with each other. We laughed so much. We took so many pictures. We were divas together. Like that, that was like the most, one of the most peaceful moments I've had in a long time, being in the presence of her and being with her. She lives in San Francisco. So I don't get to see her that much, but every time we do spend this physical space together, I get a recharge from her. And we really feed off of each other. We really feed off of each other's energies and we, we always replenish when we see each other. It's really, that's like the last time I felt really peaceful was with her. I mean, I feel so lucky that I have that, that person in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, something we have like very distinctly talked about in here before is how so often in in like outward facing spaces, queer relationships are sort of like defined as being romantic or sexual only. And it's like the the way that platonic queer relationships have have affected my life is like game changing, you know, and and it's so distinct and like it's specific. And so when you said soulmate, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) like Like I totally understand that word. And it's so beautiful. So, yeah, every time I talk to or hang out with that my best friend it's it's really useful that's awesome yeah and it's so interesting you know we I brought up the introversion thing but I'm gonna be honest I hate that word and this is why because we're talking to you about peace and you thought of something social right and so it's like sometimes I question this so you know like sometimes all the time I question (laughs) am I am I introverted or am I just healthily protecting myself from spaces that force me to sort of suppress my wholeness you know yes like am I I introverted I don't want to use the word introvert anymore extrovert because you know there's a huge spectrum you know Mm -hmm. plus it's like I don't want to put that type of identifier on me because people both prejudge you if you say that and Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm either I like my quiet time I like to be reserved I like to decompress I like to recover there's Mm -hmm. nothing introverted about that just you listening to your body right mm-hmm. yeah. and you feel comfortable and you feel alive and you feel like you want to like laugh a lot and dance a lot in a queer space because you know it's home to you that's that's not extrovert that's just like loving that space yes so, yeah and I use those words in order to like debunk them all the time because I yeah. I respect. I respect. It's, it's like you offer those words in sacrifice. I can't help myself because I have been told things so many times that I'm like, is that just discounting all of these systems around us? It drives me nuts because I'm like, it's a good thing to know yourself well enough to know how to feel healthy and whole and rested. <laughs> like, you know, and in professional um, spaces, I always think like, OK, if I tell them I'm, if I'm an introvert, they'll leave me alone. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's like when I became vegan, I thought that people when I became Buddhist, I thought people would leave me alone about not wanting to participate <laughs> in American traditions. Oh, my God. And I didn't want you anyways, but I'm like, oh, OK, now I'm going <laughs> to leave me alone. Right. Like mm-hmm. Buddhists, we don't have a big Christmas. Nope. <laughs> they didn't leave me alone. People are ignorant. Let's be real. <laughs> and also, yeah. like, who who does it work for? So if I go back to introvert, extrovert, who does that work for? It works if you take it in a westernized colonial white mm-hmm. cis patriarchal context then like yeah i think those labels could work but <laughs> that's not us so like you yeah. know but i use it because it a- actually does help me find connections in the same way that i talk about being 
an adoptee, I don't identify that way in like an internal way. I'm like, no, I think the adoption industry needs to be abolished. And I think it's a evil business, you know, but I call myself an adoptee because it connects me with people that have some of those shared experiences. Right. And the same way that I think when I say I've, I'm introverted or more introverted, I find people that we can relate to those experiences and so as much as the label is problematic, which they all are, it yeah. also does sometimes help find community or help find connections that I found helpful or valuable or, you know. I have a hashtag on my profile that I'm vegan. I don't have a lot of vegan friends, but when I do, like our ears perk up and we're like, which restaurants do you go to? Which ones mm-hmm. do you love? And it's like this instant, like little connection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't like telling people right away I'm vegan, but it's an important part of my life so to find other vegans to like play with and go to all these really great restaurants that's like some that's a that's a goal for me <laughs> oh my gosh Dia well kind of long story about being vegan because I had to be vegan for like oh, yeah. 10 weeks <laughs> yeah you had to I had to, well because I was part of a Stanford uh research study on the microbiome. Oh and cool. so and so they were doing this uh this diet study uh, with uh, omnivore diet, both healthy diets. I learned about uh, plant-based diets even more so. I have a number of friends who are in the uh, the Filipino food movement and the the plant-based uh, decolonization of of uh, food waste and things like that. Right. So I I was comfortable in it, although. And I don't eat red meat. I'd like to say if it flies or swims, I eat it. When I saw like your hashtag vegan, I'm like, wow, like there is like that, that culture, right? Like that, that is, that is a quick signal to invite in, in, at least in my experience, when I've said that, oh, I have to, you know, for the next 10 weeks or next six weeks or next whatever weeks, I'm vegan. People literally were so supportive like people were like, do you need, do you need to know what to get? Do you need to know, like, can do you need help with recipes? And I'm like, yes, to all that. What a way to like, with this one, with the one, with that one word to signal like this, that I'm receptive to generosity, right? And people are so generous with it, except my husband, like my husband's like, ah. you know, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? When I see that again, how we are finding each other in with, with technology, how we're, we're, we're identifying ourselves so many parts of our intersectional selves. It allows for the spaciousness of, of people to, to connect with, with one another. Even in the vegan community though, like non-white people still have to show up, you know? Correct. It's been co-opted so much by these entitled white people. And it's like, they really put this terrible stigma around the whole world vegan. Like a vegan person can just eat beans and rice and they're fine. You know, like I just love you just beans and rice and vegetable. I, I don't need like all these expensive vegan things. That, that, that's that's right. Stigma is around like how it's expensive and all this other stuff. And, and the commodification, it. right? It uh, when I look at like my feed, when I look at my social media, when I look at like where I'm getting information from about veganism, about plant-based eating, from the beginning, I was going to, well, specifically like Filipino people who I knew were were plant-based eaters. And I'm like, how did you do it? Because in Filipino American culture, Filipino culture, it's so pork-based, right? It's, it's, right, exactly. And I'm like, how how does this 
exist, you know? And so they were the ones, you know, showing me and then directing me to, to other uh, folks who were doing plant-based in a way that was not commodified or co-opted. I def I do still want to ask, like, how can yes? Let's have you say how can our listeners connect with you? If you have, do you still have like five minutes to do that? Or yeah, yeah, I, I still have time. Um, yeah, it's easy. Just look for my Instagrams. I have one for Radio Realness, all one word, and Synthdactyl Program, and those are the easiest ways. Sounds good. Um, you know what I was thinking as you were talking, Carolyn, is what's so strange is. Because I'm Indian, people assume I don't eat meat all the time. Not so much everywhere. But if I'm in California, like people ask me if I eat meat all the time out of politeness. Really? Yeah, I do. But it, it's just interesting because I think there, you know, like there's all this cultural overlap and different traditions. I mean, Indian food is like, it's not hard to eat vegetarian, vegan it's like slightly harder. But even that, it's not really hard. I, like it's mm-hmm. a very common thing. So... <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's just interesting, you know, like how, uh, different cultures kind of view that stuff and the way that it manifests in our interactions with people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people, people think I'm, I'm joking with them. Like people think I'm <laughs> not like, like, oh, you're not a real Filipino. If you don't eat pork. That's that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Although I oh, haven't my. had any really good, um, vegan lumpia or pancit yet. Oh, oh I've never had any vegan adobo. Never had it. Oh, there's some good ones out there. Definitely some good ones, like with with banana blossoms or huh. or with with mushrooms. Now, mm-hmm. oh, there's this cute like subculture veganism. It's like vegan punk, you know. Like that's like where I am. And yes, oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. However way you you would like for us to to amplify your vibe is how we want to contribute and how we want to share what you've offered with us today. I think, I think it's one thing that I would like people to take away from like meeting me in person or like after listening to this podcast, it's just like, just do it. Just have fun. Like it took me a long time to finally get my Sanrio tattoos, you know, but once I finally did it, I'm like, why did I wait so long? Just fuck it. Just do it. Who cares? Right. <laughs> and then my hair has been like this art project for, for me for like a year. If you've got wanted to diet, just diet. Who cares? You know, just who cares? Who, who cares? Do whatever you want. The world is ending. The world is shitty. Mm-hmm. Anything that makes you happy, anything that makes you like have that glimmer in your eye, Cause like when I dye my hair and I see like the change happen, it's very, very comforting to me mm-hmm. that you can actively change something about you, you know? And just like, this is, this is this, there's this immediate aesthetic that you see so that it gives you this message that things can change and things will change. Anyways, just do it. Just do it. Get all the tattoos. Just do it. Dye your hair. <laughs> radio station, find one. You, you can have a radio show. Just do it. Do all the things that you just hope to do. Um, don't worry about age. Don't worry about if you don't have enough of the stuff. You'll get it. You'll figure it out if you lean into the community, you know? I'd like to leave with, uh, I have a, a couple of live in studios that I'm excited about. Um, Josie Rec and June 11th. I'm going to be on a, another podcast um, called Tied to the Tracks and then talk about Alice Bag's album. That's in June. Paul Lobo is going to be, uh, he's a local electronic artist. He's going to be in the studio on June 
in June. Yeah, in June also. Irene Diaz, she's a wonderful vocalist and songwriter. She's going to be back in the studio in June. Denver, I'm working with them to organize an in-studio. Frank, a legend. Do you know Frank? P-H-R-A-N-C. She's a legend. Please look her up. I'm working with her to come into the studio. And a really wonderful electronic artist named Lara Sarkissian. She's going to come by, I think, in October. So if you follow me on Instagram, I'll be posting all this stuff. Thanks. Sounds good. This is a fun conversation. Thank you for turning in for making it into a conversation and not an interview we try our best (laughs) maybe in different forms but there's like a lot of alignment in terms of that creative expression and um yeah yeah so it's cool thank you so much dia welcome thank you now i'm hungry for filipino food (laughs) (laughs) i'll drop uh chef reina Mm -hmm. r-e-i-n-a Chef Reina. Yeah, when it comes to plant-based meats mm-hmm. in traditional Filipino dishes, whew, got some good stuff going on. Good stuff. Thank you both. I feel very weirdly energized at the moment. I'm like yeah. kind of physically tired, <laughs> but I feel good about this. <laughs> is, it, is it the cider? <laughs> is the cider. <laughs> uh, no, that would definitely make me sleepy. That's the combo. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be journaling about this because that's what I do. After every conversation, <laughs> I, I do a little journal and uh, offer my gratitudes again. So, Dia, thank you so much. Sounds good. All right. Good night, y'all. Thank you so much. Good again. night. Bye-bye. Follow Human Regards on Instagram at Human Regards Pod. Please remember to subscribe, follow, rate, and share from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Production and music for Human Regards is by me, Shanta Lecker. You're the best for being here. Take good care today. <laughs>